Hey, Brandon, in the house, whenever things are going rough, I just look at Fran because she's the most friendly face in the room. Okay. And if you ever need a little, little okay. support. All right. Go good deal. So, uh, we're Sounds good. We're looking forward to hearing this message. Nice. Go. Great. Thanks. Am I connected here? Can you hear me? That's good, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, sorry, I don't know what that says about the rest of you guys that, uh, you know, the uh, designated friendly face is Fran. Um, if I look at my wife, uh, I can, you know, see, she's, she's probably good. To, she'll, be, she'll be looking out for you guys going. So, here we are. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, thank you for having us. Uh, I love sharing in the life and, and I'd say particularly the worship life of so many different parts and communities and places that are part of the body of Christ. And uh, I used to think it was a pretty raw deal that some denominations got a denomination, got a name that kind of encompassed everybody else and claimed it for themselves. You know, I've had for years people saying, well, what is it about the Apostles' Creed? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, like we're Protestant, but we believe only in the Catholic. No, Catholic just means the universal church, right? And what about disciples of Christ? You have a pastor of discipleship here. Or how come is it some other denomination gets to choose the name? Well, we're the disciples of Christ. Everybody else is wannabes, I guess. I got to say, you guys got a great name. Kairos. I mean, that's pretty great, right? Uh, we're here, I trust, because we expect and hope and pray and offer ourselves for a Kairos moment in this worship, where each of us are able to somehow hear God's voice in a special way, we're here to be available and open to God in a true way and a true sense. And even though it's with a little bit of fear and trembling, we're here to offer ourselves to have our lives changed. Maybe even into a little bit less comfortable a path. Maybe it's into trusting God a little more deeply and truly on a path where it already seems pretty hard to trust. So I'm going to ask you if you uh, take a minute and look around, just make eye contact with a few of the people around you, would you? And you're going to need this, you're going to need these friends later in the service, so, you know, I'm serious. Uh, and let's take a minute and just pray that God's Kairos moment will be available to each person where we need it, okay? Let's do it. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you invite us to be your trusting, following, growing, faithful disciples. And we ask, gracious God, that you will help us to be open to whatever it is your Spirit teaches. We pray for the person in this room that needs this message the most. And we pray for the person who thinks they need it the least. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So here we are all working together. And let's see if I can make my technology work and get to the actual uh, slide pattern here that we see. I may have to look back. So uh, Moses in the morning news. And uh, I know this is a little crazy. I'm going to ask if we can read together our portion of the roll call of faith uh, from Hebrews 11. So can we do that? Let's try that together. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse, suffered for the Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked forward to his reward. I was thrilled when I heard that, uh, you know, uh, we could kind of choose whatever we wanted to in this summer series, as long it was, as it was from Hebrews 11. Uh, no, that you graciously said, hey, preach on whatever you want to, but it would be nice if uh, you did something from Hebrews 11. So I had just been reading several books that actually seemed to zero right in on the story of Moses. Uh, and I'd read these uh, mostly before I ever uh, heard this uh, invitation. But I'm a little nervous, okay? Because... Um, you know, uh, anytime we delve into Scripture, all of Scripture for what it actually says and not just what makes us comfortable or what we hope it says or what we wish it says, sometimes it gets a little controversial, a little uncomfortable. I'm preaching on Moses and the morning news or, uh, you know, today's news. And uh, I think, I really believe, could we have that next slide, okay, I don't always think I'm enlightened, but when I do, I'm not, right? So you guys have to do some active discernment to kind of see where you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through Scripture and through the voice of an imperfect messenger about something that might impact your life, your family's life, this congregation's life, the life of the church, the life of the Atlanta metro area, the life of the United States, the life of God's world. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite uh, two different sides, okay? We're going to divide. They say the church is way too divided now. We're going to divide it even further. Everybody on this side is going to have one job. Everybody on that side is going to have another job, all right? So, I am basically speaking about a passage where it appears to me clear that Moses lays down privilege that he has in the political, in the economic, in the social system in which he has been raised. So we're going to be talking about a controversial topic from Scripture, I believe. It's about privilege. So I want people here 
to get together, huddle up, call in a lifeline, whatever, and see if you can think of some life situation you've been in where there was probably some privilege structured into the setting. I mean, all the way back to your post-traumatic stress syndrome from when the cool kids wouldn't let you eat at the same lunch table with them in junior high or whatever it is. Your job is to figure out an instance or two where there's been some privilege for some and not for others. Okay, that's your job. On this side, your job is to consider, is this guy a nut job? Is he dragging politics into uh, scripture, just what should be good Bible stuff about loving God and loving neighbor more. So your job is to get in groups of no more than two or three and see if you can think of at least two, maybe three, other stories or instances in scripture where there appeared to be some privilege for some but not privilege for others. You don't have long for this, so please get together now, go. Okay, and um, I will say if, if uh, you guys don't come up with anything, I'm not going to force anything on you. Apparently I'm not as enlightened about this morning as I think. So if you don't come up with anything, um, the next 25 minutes or so will be um, readings from the Westminster Confession. So just, uh, you know, your choice, all right? Now, are there a few life circumstances you came up with where it looked like maybe there's a little bit of what you might call privilege structured in for some and not for others? What you got? All right. <laughs> there you go. So uh, allowing someone, it's your privilege in a way, and uh, then you, sometimes you ask, well, what about all the other people in the line? <laughs> behind you, but yeah, that's a good thing. What else? Beautiful, beautiful. Warren Buffett, our cultural icon of success and status and everything else, says, the only reason I'm where I am today is I was privileged to win the genetic lottery. 
And I happened to be born in a place where my kind of effort could make a huge difference. So, what else? Yes. There you go, absolutely. Um, so you not only have some kids on the sports team that might be in a privileged place, but you have crazy, scary stories of uh, you know vampire uh, sports parents that will just dog the coach for not giving their child uh, a privileged place or privileged playing time or a privileged spot on the roster, whatever it may be. Okay, so good, we kind of get some of this. What about this side? Uh, am I making this stuff? There are plenty of people, including plenty of politicians, right now that'll pull out one verse from somewhere in Scripture and wave it around and sometimes even pass some pretty whacked out laws based on it um, so be careful when somebody says, I'm pretty sure this topic is in Scripture. Do some discernment. What did you guys come up with? Any other instances or stories in Scripture that might have involved privilege for some, not so much for others? Yes. Rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus. Great example. What else? Yes. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the tax collectors were in a privileged place, and we could even uh, uh, pull back on that and say, uh, interestingly, uh, the only, one of the only uh, examples in Scripture of someone who showed their repentance by making restitution was Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who not only recognized the legally privileged place he had been in to extract a lot of money from a lot of people, but renounced some of that privilege by saying, I'll give four times as much to anybody from whom I have unfairly used my position to extract wealth from. So you got these things. Let's go to the next slide, wherever it might be. Let's see, we're probably back to our Okay, this is off my daughter's water bottle. Jesus protected women, empowered women, honored women publicly, uh, released the voice of women, confided in women, was funded by women, celebrated, by women, celebrated women by name, uh, learned from women, respected women, spoke of women as examples to follow our turn. And you have examples of people like Beth Moore, who has just... Uh, you know, left her communion a year or two back and just said things like, when history looks back at the racial and gender privilege of our time, we will be judged. And history will not only judge the pastors who failed to speak up, but history will judge the congregations that forbade them from speaking up. I believe if we talk about Moses and the morning news 
and we look at our experiences, and we look at Scripture, we don't all come to exactly the same place, but I'd love to think we'll all be wrestling a little more uh, after today's message. So, here we are, and uh, I didn't set my... I didn't set my... uh, timer to make the screen stay on. So let's see. So we got this, and let's just say the first thing we'll look at is privilege in our culture, and uh, we talk about Moses when he had grown up. Uh, my wife and I just re-watched the movie The Help, right? Um, and I, I've already forgotten. Was the protagonist's name, was it Skeeter? Is that right? Okay, so Skeeter. So Skeeter just grew up in a nice little town, right? And she started growing up. She started noticing some things as she grew that didn't sit very well with her. And our Hebrews passage today from the roll call of faith says, Moses, as, you, uh, as we remember, was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith that his parents refused the edict of the emperor uh, to kill all the slave boys so that the underclass and the slaves wouldn't outnumber the uh, Egyptian elite. And it was by faith that the parents refused to do that. And somehow, we don't know much about it, by faith, uh, Pharaoh's daughter took one of those exposed boys who was put out there to die and raised them in Pharaoh's court as her own son. Moses probably didn't think about it for a while. Apparently not for a number of years. All he was concerned about was, are we going to have fireworks down on the river tonight? Or, hey, can I take the chariot out tonight? And how come I get grounded for hanging out with my friends down at the courtyard or whatever it might be? Uh, Moses had other things to think about when he was growing up, other preoccupations. But our passage says that there came a time when Moses grew up. Let's look at the next slide. And Richard Rohr, Catholic uh, Franciscan mystic writer that some of you are probably familiar with, says, uh, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. And uh, some of you have probably heard versions of that quote that uh, are not quite as uh, PG friendly for church settings. Truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. In our Christian tradition, we have all kinds of stories of people that kind of started as they grew closer to God, became more restive and more concerned and more dissatisfied and more offended on behalf of people around them who were pushed to the margins by the privilege of a few. St. Francis was one of those people who in the, what was it, the third, fourth century, 
was the son of a very wealthy merchant. And hey, he was thrilled. He had, by the stories that are told, the best wardrobe of any of his peers, all kinds of wealth. His parents were some of the most prominent and well-off citizens in their town in uh, Italy, and he was fine with that until at some point as he started growing closer to God, as he started listening for the voice of the Spirit, he did things like saw a beggar and was struck by the horror of another person's plight. And he not only gave some of his own clothing to the beggar, but he began to sense that the right thing for him to do was to lay down privilege in order to faithfully follow Jesus, who didn't even have a place to lay his head. His family, who like most of us, spent their whole lives working so that their kids would have a place of at least as great security or privilege as uh, they had, were horrified. The word is taken that his father even locked him in a storeroom in the family house for days, hoping he would come to his senses. Why would anybody in their right mind lay down the privilege that their family has amassed? So, the truth will make us free, but sometimes it'll make us miserable, and Moses was miserable. The next thing we'll notice about the passage is Moses refused one thing and chose another. He refused the privileged status as Pharaoh's daughter's son, the stepson of Pharaoh, you might say. He didn't believe in his walk with God at whatever stage that was at this point that he could go on well as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and the passage says he chose something else. He chose mistreatment with the Hebrew people. He chose identification with the most marginal and despised people in that political economy. He chose that because he felt like and he believed that that was the right thing to do. Now, we can renounce privilege or lay it down or at least leverage it in good ways, in faithful ways, in spiritually appropriate ways, or we can do it in the wrong ways. Richard Rohr, the very guy I quoted uh, not long ago, uh, slide or two back, uh, was a, an anti-war activist, and there are pictures of him as a young, handsome priest with a megaphone in his hand, uh, you know, speaking to great crowds of anti-Vietnam War protesters, and he eventually pulled out of the activism and started a center. He called it the Center for um, 
action and contemplation. And he said the reason he did that was he noticed how self-righteous righteous protesters could be. He noticed how judgmental social activists could be to people that didn't hold their political persuasions or their political convictions. And so he said, I started a school and what I thought was that what I would do is bring all these social justice or anti-war or you know, anti-poverty activists, whatever they were, I'd bring them in. And he said, I thought that maybe 30 or 40 percent of my time we'd spend a little bit more doing, uh, you know, prayer and Bible study and stuff that would be a little more spiritual, a little more humble. And he said, the way we've ended up is they spend at the school now about 90 percent of their time, energy, and effort learning contemplative prayer, learning to focus more clearly in every moment, to be more perfectly mindful of God, self, and neighbor in every moment. And he says, when that happens, we find out that you drop a couple of the tiniest seeds of awareness of neighbor or social need or community injustice or anything like that. And he said the activism just explodes out of a spiritual life of prayer in which we're learning to love our neighbor every single bit as much as we love ourselves. And so we are invited by Moses' dissatisfaction and discomfort to uh, recognize that a lot of times if we can see the button about privilege, uh, privilege is when you think something is not a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. Uh, and that's often the case. Uh, men, little clue guys, men are not the ones to explain anything about whether or not there's male privilege to our women sisters, our sisters in Christ. And just recently I was reading a, uh, an interview or a, an account of an interview with Sheryl Sandberg, the, uh, what is it, she the CEO of Facebook or whatever, and she was talking about the time and the way and the place where she was sitting at a, a, a dinner with a number of high-level executives were with a well-known business authority, and he lectured pompously, she said, for the hours we sat around that table. And there were a few times when men interrupted to ask a question or whatever, and he quickly explained and then went back to his mini lecture, and she said, I spoke up to ask a question, and a couple of the other women there at different points did, and we were always reprimanded and scolded. And after the dinner was over, one of the men came up to Cheryl Sandberg and she said, or he said, did you notice that it was only the women who were scolded for interrupting the dinner? And he said, 
I can sympathize because I'm Hispanic. And that happens to me in business setting after business setting after business setting. The great mystical Hebrew uh, writer uh, Heschel said, in a society where wrongs are going on, not many are guilty, but everyone is responsible. And so the last thing we notice about Moses is that he kept his eyes on the prize. He considered taking hits with the most marginalized and despised in his society as identifying, the Hebrew writer says, with Christ. I don't know how that happens. It's a long time before there was a Jesus or a Christ. But the spiritual significance, the kairos moment that the writer of Hebrews describes is this, that in laying down his privilege and standing, taking mistreatment with the slave people of the Hebrews, he was identifying with Christ and following Christ, and he considered the reward of following Christ better than all the advantages that there would have been in holding on to his privilege. So I just invite us in a church that is in a society, in a world where in a lot of cases people like us have a lot of privilege. The whole decline of the Christendom church that's so painful to all of us, certainly to pastors and professional leaders, to congregations who remember times when, you know, there were blue laws so that nobody would ever have to choose between their soccer game and their uh, family worship service where uh, there was a time when most of the legislators in both houses were Presbyterians. Imagine that. And all the status that went with that. In a time when ministers were considered the uh, sort of honored people in a community and now we're getting a thing where, shoot, if I admit I'm a minister, people check their wallets, and uh, do all kinds of things. We hadn't been getting good press lately. And the decline of Christendom in many ways is painful because it's people who had a privileged place in our society are finding that we don't share that privilege anymore. And some of the best leadership writers and the missional church thinkers and the church planters of today are saying the best leadership for the future is coming from people who had their call to ministry and gotten their beginning practice from the margins. They don't go in thinking that they're going to get a place of privilege. They don't go in thinking they're going to get a place of honor. And one of the female pastors interviewed in in, uh, uh, the book Canoeing the Mountains that you guys may be familiar with said, yeah, I don't spend much time going in to prove to people my credentials and my competence, and that gives me a tremendous advantage 
because from that place without privilege and without trying to establish it, I can listen more. I can attend more. I can see what the Spirit is doing around the edges of the room more. And Steve Yamaguchi, who's the head of um, something like transformational leadership at Fuller Seminary, says, these are the leaders that will lead the Western church into a new era of blessing and witness and fruitfulness in the global church as we recognize the spiritual leaders that will lead us out of our privileged place and into being servants on the margins with Christ who calls us. As we gather around this table, we will remember what Jesus said, or what Paul said about Jesus. And I don't know if we can pull that up. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. We might say a privilege or a prerogative to be grasped and held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's the table we're invited to today. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and the scriptures tell us that giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink ye all of it. And the scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and share this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, and we're also foreshadowing the wedding feast of the land, Lamb, where women and men shall come together from east and west, from north and south, to sit together at table, and in which Paul says there won't be any more privilege. There won't be any more male or female in a patriarchal society. There won't be any more slave or free when some people are economically so advantaged beyond others. There won't be any more Jew or Gentile in a world where there's so much ethnic inequality and residual ethnic privilege. We're invited to this table by the one who was equal to God, but laid down that prerogative in order to be a servant to all. Will you come? I'll invite our servers to come forward after I pray. James and Matt, are, come right on up here. And let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, bless this bread and this cup, separate them from every common use, and make them for us the sign and the seal of your holy presence, we pray. Amen.